9 out of 10 professionals in the UAE feel upbeat about the future of work. How optimistic are you about your own career prospects in a fast-changing world? You're listening to the Business Extra podcast coming from the Nationals newsroom in Abu Dhabi. I'm Mustafa Al-Rawi, Assistant Editor-in-Chief. Before we get into the workplace, here are some of the other stories you need to know about from the national.ae. Slowing global economic growth means the outlook for the world's investment banks over the next 12 to 18 months is not as rosy as it was. That's according to ratings agency Moody's. The Dubai International Financial Center courts saw a 25% increase in cases handled in the first six months of 2019 as the free zone forges new partnerships with local and international courts. And global ports operator DP World and Zhejiang China Commodity Citigroup Company are partnering to develop a smart wholesale and retail traders market in Dubai's Jebel Ali Free Zone. Well, welcome into the studio, Kelsey Warner and Chris Nelson, Assistant Business Editors. Hello. Hi. So as I was mentioning there, uh, the last of those headlines, uh, there's a push to use tech um, in trade, uh, in Jebel Ali, in Dubai. It's quite interesting given that uh, trade globally is under pressure and could tech, I guess, be the answer for mm. keeping margins afloat if there is less trade going on? Sure. And making it cheaper and faster, the movement of goods. Uh, I thought it was interesting that they're going to be creating a marketplace for wholesale, this kind of synergy between the meeting of all of this stuff shipped into Dubai and then actually creating a space for its sale and these marketplaces. It seems like a really interesting relationship that they've they've created here. I think also it shows what um, how important the Middle East and Africa is to uh, the whole Belt and Road Initiative that pushed by China to, to kind of globalize uh, its its trade routes. Um, it, I mean, the, the thing itself, the traders market is going to be enormous. It's 800,000 square meters when it's finished. Um, mm-hmm. Two hundred twenty thousand square meters in the first uh, the first phase at uh, the uh, five hundred fifty million dirham. So there's a lot of a lot of work being put into this to to make use of those facilities that are at Jebel Ali, I think, and and to facilitate that flow through the through that area. Uh, so DP World, which obviously is a Dubai-based company, but really grew out of uh, the acquisition of P&O, uh, the global ports operator, combining with the assets they had here in the UAE. But they've been at the forefront of incorporating technology for some time. They've even got a Hyperloop um, test Right, they've got plans line. for Hyperloop. They've got a pretty compelling video online of what they plan to do with uh, shipping containers that implements like a totally new way of stacking shipping containers that... Um, Anyone really should just go on YouTube and watch the seven-minute video of uh, the logistics in action. And it can all be operated by, uh, like, robotic self-driving trucks. And they're hoping that all of this is – the wheels are turning on this by Expo 2020 as well. Um, so the initiatives are in place to really implement, yeah, tech fully in the entire DP World port experience in Dubai. And the, the – if you think about the ports and trade, a very uh, human-intensive um, job a hundred years ago, you had dock workers, mm. um, you know, at the at the ports around the world, U.S., Europe, Liverpool, famously, um, for the U.K., elsewhere, and now it's it's one of the industries that's probably amongst the mo- the most highly automated. 
right. of, of any. It was an industry that really stood to gain from automation and digital and tech disruption because you're talking about economies of scale that are just massive. That, you know, if you can shave off a few minutes or clear a shipping container faster and move product faster, you're making more money. Um, so an industrial strength tech is exciting in a port. So the deal between DP World and Zhejiang um, to create this wholesale market increase efficiencies for traders in bulk, in wholesale. Nice little deal within the wider picture of a giant trade war between the US and China that is apparently threatening the outlook. So Interesting it, dynamics. This, it, the souk of the future uh, coming to Dubai. Well, yeah, further west, we, yeah, American farmers and ranchers are wringing their hands. Well, I, I see two competing forces here, really. You have you have this sort of almost the optics of, you know, what we've had at the G7 and Donald Trump and, and you know, he oscillates between bullishness and bearishness on, 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 on China. Um, and or at least in terms of his action on China trade, we, we've seen tar- tiff a of tariffs of the big picture. And then as you said, U.S. farmers saying it's beginning to hurt us. It's beginning to hurt, yeah. Automakers saying it's beginning to hurt them on mm-hmm. both sides. But then you've got sort of the wheels keep turning where, no, you know, developments aren't, you know, trends aren't stopping just because of this bigger picture. No, but it's become a double-edged sword where we're now dealing both with the tariffs and the level of uncertainty Trump has created with his ability to just whipsaw every 24 hours, it seems. It's like... He tweets, sees how the market reacts, and then will say something different to reporters to either course correct or try to get a different reaction from whichever leader he's he's kind of baiting at, at that time. Um, There's a, there a great quote from Jeff, Jeffrey Halley, a, a market analyst at Oanda, who said, uh, investors are enthralled to the president's comments with financial markets doing abrupt changes of direction on his words that wouldn't look out of place in a Fast and Furious film. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Friday was a perfect example of that. We all woke up here Saturday morning, and Mr. Trump had gone on a total diatribe, threatening to raise tariffs in an extreme sense, and then 72 hours later called President Xi Jinping a a great leader um, after calling him an enemy and the S&P 500 dropping 3%. So we're all on this roller coaster with him, and business leaders are starting to say, um, you know, you're about to cost actually American families money here. Um, this isn't just a, a political stage. I, I feel like there's a there's a disconnect between fundamentals in in most industries and the sort of big picture thing that's playing out. I mean, I, I American farmers might have been hurting anyway. I mean, you mm-hmm. know, we, yeah, American manufacturing was hurting anyway. But yes. I mean, I think the numbers are starting to bear out that this is so. American manufacturing slowed down for the first time in August. In a decade, the first time in a decade, American manufacturing has uh, contracted. So to me, yes, these are struggling industries to begin with, but they've always been propped up by American government. There's always been subsidies and efforts in place. This really flies in the face of that. So 10 years ago, we had the financial crisis and a lot of money was pumped into the system to keep it going and to save it. And you could argue that you know, this unprecedented boom in markets and growth. I mean, I mean it, it, not huge scale, but longevity, mm-hmm. you know, of a period of time where markets were just climbing and, and growth was sustained in the U.S. 
is is perhaps more of a by- byproduct of all those emergency measures rather than it was a synthetic, of, of, of genuine fundamentals. Right, it was a synthetic uh, effect. And, and when the it. Fed tried to to change course, and 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 just like in Europe, they they did. You know, it said that they they stopped easing, um, and all that money started to come out of the system. Then we saw where we really were, mm-hmm. and perhaps this is right, this is really right. playing out. The tide leaves the the shore, as, as and Mr. we're all Buffett left standing. Said, yes. Yeah, we're all we're, we're all a little bit more naked than we thought we were. <laughs> yeah, um, and and so and so essentially, maybe we give Trump, Mr. Trump, too much mm. credit, and a lot of this would be happening anyway. anyway. He's just the show. He's the fireworks that we're distracted by. Right. When in fact, this was we, we would be where we are anyway. Right. I mean, J.P. Morgan said earlier this week that they estimated that this trade war was costing American families anywhere between $1,000 and $1,500 a year. That's real money. Uh, so I do think this is about to impinge on uh, the whole presidential campaign going on and what's to come in 2020. Right. It's politics. It's politics. Yeah. So the, sto- the narrative's being, being written to fit the political climate rather than anyone doing any genuine digging as to, to right. what's happening. Well, game on. Most of us thrown down the gauntlet for uh, somebody yeah, to do no, some but, genuine. But, yeah, but there's no way to, <laughs> there's no way to actually prove it because net, net, the result is the same. Mm. So growth slows anyway. We have a bit of a downturn for a year or two, let's say around the time of the 2020 right. presidential elections. It might hurt Trump's re-election chances. It might not. But the net result is the same. But how do you prove... The theatrics of the, the, the US theatrics China. had nothing to do with it, and that we would be at this point anyway, because you know you observe a phenomenon and then you change it by observing it essentially. So we we don't really know, and but but why why does it matter? Because it actually tells me that probably economically in five years time will be okay. Regardless, and it actually plays out to all the populism I going just, on. I don't think we can just throw up our hands though and say all things being cyclical. You know, I don't things think things are can, always cyclical. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Things are always cyclical, so you can't just. So I do think that the, this outside force of the U.S.-China, like the uns, the level of uncertainty business leaders are dealing with right now over what's about to happen, I do think is having a material effect. So look, I've been I've been conscious of markets and the economy since the late 1980s. Let's say I, I'm. You've con- been a sentient con- participant. Of sentient, okay. right? And I, I've I've. Understood something is I'm st- happening. I'm still trying to decide if I am a sentient participant. I mean, I'm not a participant. I'm aware <laughs> of it. I, I, I'm conscious of it, let's say. And we've seen the same cycles repeated since the late 1980s. Can it be that the old cliche that history repeats itself, we continue to make the same mistakes? Or is it... And, and I remember 20 years, almost 20 years ago, where... Um, I think Gordon Brown, uh, the then UK Chancellor, said we'd, that they'd broken the cycle. There was no cycle anymore. There was no boom and bust. We've done it. We fixed it. Yet we return now to boom and bust. And maybe that is just the natural part of things. Maybe it is. We cannot affect anything. <laughs> Why do we even try? But also, I think we all have a right as, you know, citizens of the world to, you know, a more perfect pursuit of a more perfect union. And can we like improve upon the dynamics? And I don't think the US China dynamics that tech bubble we're potentially yes. facing. Fair enough. We can be better. We can be better. Yes. Uh, and these dynamics are really kind of showing uh I think some of our our lesser selves. Well let let's move on to uh, close to home, perhaps more optimistic um 
thinking, which is what we mentioned at the top of the the episode. Uh, we've we've had a survey about uh, the, the the attitudes, if you like, of people in the region, in particular the UAE, to work. Um, as I said, nine in ten professionals in the UAE are upbeat about their own futures, which might surprise people. I mean, certainly surprised me. I, I got the impression sentiment was on the floor in every aspect uh, when it comes to it. But, uh, you know, with changing technology, um, which is recrafting jobs, uh, priorities, as we were saying earlier with trade and, and how technology is affecting uh, how trade is done, that this survey by um, BAIT and, uh, and YouGov of 5,000 people in the region, including employers, uh, is is perhaps more optimistic than than we might we might have been led to believe Could, the, the the attitudes were i think i think that's what um you know that's an aspect of of digitization in general isn't it that uh, you can perceive it to be a you know an, an all conquering good in in many ways and i think what this survey showed was was how employers and employees considered the uh, growing influence of of digital skills to be a vital part of the workforce going forward. Um, and that there always seems to be a sense of optimism if you digitize something. It seems to be a given almost. So uh, perhaps that's partly to explain, you know, why they're, why they're so upbeat. So, so Chris, you're saying that people are getting used to the changes? That essentially, that they, they're not as in fear of their jobs and their careers because they're able now to uh, either develop their own digital skills or more people are coming to the workplace if you're an employee who have the digital skills that you need? Yeah, I think it's possibly a combination of both. I think those who come into the work or have been in the workplace for some considerable time are, are getting, um, if you like, teched up as as their whatever, whoever they're working for goes forward. You, part, you, don't, you don't want to get rid of your previous workforce just because they don't know what the new tech is that you've just brought in. You want to train them. So... Those tech skills can then be developed in-house. And of course, when people leave and move on, goes to another company, they have them with them. And also, from a, a younger workforce point of view, when they're first coming into the marketplace, they come armed with a lot of these digital skills anyway. Um, Pre-programmed. Yeah. And I, I think it, when this kind of te technological um, revolution began 10, 15, 20 years ago, I think the, the fear was that it would replace everybody. And I don't think that's coming to fruition. I think what's happening is that uh, more jobs are being created through technology which require different skills and those skills are being uh, brought in you know, either by existing uh, employees or by people coming new to the market. Yeah, it showed a certain confidence to me in the workforce in the UAE currently. It was a real snapshot of people who are really embracing the inevitable and I think, too, we're starting to get a clearer picture of what's possible with technology. I think a few years ago, the prospect of robotics and big data and things like that were really scary and felt really opaque. And now all of a sudden, it actually feels like it opens whole worlds of opportunity for the workforce because you can deploy AI, robotics, big data in ways that you know create great value for your business that are really interesting. Um, and it was very uh, kind of affirming to see from the UAE workforce. Not It's not a global survey. It's actually right here that people are saying, you know, these skills are are being met with, you know, with a happy, ready-to-go workforce. It's cool. 
The uh, the World Economic Forum coined the phrase for what you're talking about, the fourth industrial revolution. Mm-hmm. Uh, 2015, I remember they had a survey that talked about sort of net decline of, of jobs and tens of millions. And then they they repeated the survey um, less than five years later. And actually, it was a net gain of jobs. Yeah, it was first the robots are coming for your jobs yes. to the robots are coming to make your job easier. That's right. I mean, I do have to say this week I watched American Factory on Netflix, um, which is about a factory in Ohio that gets – it's an old GM plant that closes down and is bought by a Chinese multinational. Um, and by the end of the movie, they're talking about robots replacing line workers. It's really heartbreaking. So that's one instance where robotics are coming to take your jobs, not complement your jobs. Um, and those workers, I do think a lot of this conversation can sometimes really revolve around white-collar workers, um, and we forget – that uh, we actually do need to skill up uh, blue-collar workers and manufacture, and that that's maybe not happening as fast as it needs to be happening. Um, but for this, which is, I think, more office-centric, was how the survey was geared, this shows a real optimism, at least on a white-collar front. It comes to co- it will come down to costs in terms of the blue-collar jobs. I mean, they, these mm-hmm. jobs tend to go when the robots become cheaper to yeah. operate then you know when the accountants come Sounds in and like say we're, yeah we're hitting that uh, but are we are we hitting that and is it is it because you can't it, it hear me out here but essentially a lot of blue collar jobs went anyway in in in, in developed countries right so you talk mm-hmm. about the US and the UK a lot of i mean you think about the UK and the experience of the miners you know their well, jobs further by the industrial revolution right so jobs have been disappearing over time so if blue-collar jobs and manufacturing jobs are disappearing anyway because manufacturing relocated to right. developing manufacturing countries. Manufacturing has always been a moving target. Right. Yeah. So it's the robots shouldn't impact the U.S. again, let's say, or Europe in the same way that they will do now. That, right? was, that was my assumption before I saw this really good documentary <laughs> where I realized, oh, no, we really forget. I feel like we're really forgetting a population that is being impacted. Um, And I do think it's worth talking about and thinking about. And so when we say that we're really optimistic about the rise of technology, I do think there's a subset of the population that will always be kind of run over. And I just don't want to forget them. Well, then that's that's, all I'm saying. That's that's a responsibility of 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 governments and and uh, people who vote them in, isn't it? And mm-hmm. I think to, it's not the fault of technology. So. No, and I do. Uh, I would like to see in the UAE what what the what the ways are that we are upskilling our workforce because it's it's not enough to just say I'm confident and all you new grads go become programmers. Uh, how are we all adapting in our own jobs to figuring out? But but you don't you won't need program. I mean, this is the thing. Like so. Kids now at school, they learn programming from the age of four yes. with, with puzzles. But when you have AI algorithm programming for you, mm. then essentially you're – they're not going to be programmers, but they have to understand programming in the same way they might understand their native tongue, Arabic, English, French, whatever it is. They have to understand it to be able to work in it. So the, the, no, you know, the generation of kids learning programming at school isn't so they become programmers. It's just so that they're fluent in the – language of programming right, because can, when the robots are programming they can understand whether it's right or wrong I guess. <laughs> it's basically if that makes any it's, sense it's pretty meta yeah yeah but, i mean but this is it it's like you, you know you can't 
Okay, so programming was a bad example. No, but everyone it's a, should no, become. It's a good example. It's a good example because because it's absolutely the right example because everybody thinks train your kids all to be programmers, but we actually have no concept of what the workplace of the future will really be like. Mm. We, we actually have no concept of it. In the same way, Chris, your point of, of people of the early industrial revolution mm. in the cotton mills, mm. you know, we'll, we could, ne- could never conceive of, no, of, of the modern yeah. workplace that we're in now. And I think what we're realizing, too, is that these quantum leaps actually do take a lot of time and they happen tiny step by tiny step. And so I think what the survey showed was that a lot of us are feeling less vulnerable because we're realizing we're not going to wake up tomorrow morning with a robot sitting at our desk, most of us will not have that happen. Um, That you can actually be part of the change if you stay adaptable. Um, And and actually, there's a danger to forecasting about these these sort of big long-term trends. I mean, we we had a piece in The National about uh, India's auto industry that sales are down. Rebecca Bundan, our correspondent in Mumbai, was writing about how um, there's been a slump in sales. Um, And, you know... (laughs) Part of this is because there was a really optimistic forecast of how quickly cars would be adopted in India. Yet, with technology coming into play, and you talk about ride sharing, right. ride hailing in India, Uber, Ola, all these other companies, wouldn't that put a natural right. break on the rising middle class? Of looked at the traffic situation and said, "No, thanks. I would not like to contribute to that issue." Correct, <laughs> and 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 so. You, you, the dangers of modeling an entire industry right. on long-term optimistic or pessimistic forecasts is that in between other trends come into play and change the dynamic. Mm-hmm. And sentiment is so nuanced sometimes. You can't anticipate what what that feeling is going to be or even um, – we were talking earlier today about um, just how much climate change has really dominated the headlines recently, which that can sway somebody who's looking mm. to buy a car is what's in the headlines around what's happening to our planet. There's so many things that can Absolutely. can turn a tide really quickly. Yeah, and, and, and not that I want to make this about, you know, my columns, but I wrote a column Please. a few months ago about we no one no one really needs to own a car anymore. They just don't know it yet. And certainly from my point of view, what I'm struggling with is I believed every word that I wrote and I really don't want to own a car, but I can't uh, let go of, I guess, the way I was raised and the way I lived and the way I understood mm-hmm. Uh, transport to be and that you have your own car and you drive it around. Yeah. And so it's very difficult. But then I think about my kids who, by the time they're old enough to be independent, they'll be Ubering and Kareeming and grab, grabbing and scootering before they drive. You don't even know what they'll be. Exactly. <laughs> or that Hover guy. Building, what's probably. that French guy? Hoverboarding. Uh, yeah. The French guy who, f- yeah, who did the channel. Yeah, they'll yeah. be doing that before they even have a license to drive. Right. So owning a car Kids won't... don't even want licenses anymore. Correct. Yes. Yeah. It's right. The sense of ritual and the romanticization our generation has around driving is it's a diminishing sentiment for yeah. sure. Um, Maybe by the time I'm 90, if I get there, God willing, I would have <laughs> lost my this need. And it is a need. It's mm-hmm. a, it's like almost like the marketing got me at an early age and won't let me go. Oh, yeah. My, my morning cup of coffee is a ritual. It's not an addiction. Right. <laughs> So we'll see. I mean, trends are trends are playing out. Trends are playing out. I think we better leave it there. Chris and Kelsey, thanks for thanks for today. Thank you. Pleasure. Um, guys who are listening, uh, subscribe to the show on whichever platform you listen on. Please do leave a review. 
Let me thank our producer, Arthur Edison, and thank you all for listening. Do join us again next time. <laughs>